Stop the Sales Drop podcast. I'm Christina Jaramillo, and my guest today will be appearing in our or on our November 13th Reboot Pipeline panel. So he'll be virtually celebrating my 40th birthday with me on Friday the 13th. Very excited. Um, he's also appeared on our podcast before, and he's a guest expert on all of our Stop the Sales Drops events so far. My guest today is Matt Hines. Matt, I know that you've been extremely busy um, in 2020 and uh, working on a manuscript. So thank you so much time. Or thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. All right. So before we give a sneak preview into the valuable insights that you're going to be sharing next week, I want to remind everyone that you can get the archive videos and podcasts at stopthesalesdrop.com. And if you go to stopthesalesdrop.com backslash Friday reboot, you'll also be able to keep up to date with our upcoming panels and sessions, LinkedIn lives, interviews, and podcasts. So before we jump into it, Matt, um, can you give a little background about who you are and what you've been up to? I know a lot of people probably know, but refresher is always good. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, so my name is Matt Hines. I have a company called Hines Marketing. We help B2B companies build more predictable pipelines. You know, we realized that a lot of companies, you know, have lumpiness in pipeline development, especially in a year like this. Um, and, you know, a lot of marketing teams really, if they, if they think about it, really, you're doing kind of random acts of marketing that aren't as consistent, aren't as targeted, um, and aren't as predictable as they maybe should be. So we help companies do that. And uh, we also do quite a bit of um, research in the B2B space as well and do a handful of benchmark uh, surveys every year just on sort of the continued evolution of what's working for B2B marketers as they attempt to build that predictable pipeline. I like that random acts of marketing. That's very true. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a little too, it hits a little too close to home for many of us. <laughs> Um, so before we started our Stop the Sales Drop uh, event in mid-April, it was really because we saw a shift in our own business um, and how we could build future, stronger future pipeline. Yeah. Seven months now, seven months later, uh, many B two B firms are still struggling to recover. What are many B two B for? Why are they slow to recover? And um, what changes need to be made to minimize maybe future disruptions to pipeline and kind of have a stronger twenty twenty one? Well, I, I think that. Um there's been a level of conservatism from buyers and sellers, you know, the first half of this year, not sure where the pandemic's going, not sure where the economy is going to go relative to that. So there's been a fair amount of just cash conservation uh, on both sides. Um, I, I think that, you know, the sellers, you know, once they got through Q2 decided, okay, we got to, we got to keep performing. We got to, you know, ramp back up. And unfortunately many of them ramp back up the same messages and the same campaigns and, and they're marketing to buyers that are, that are, have a tightened set of priorities than what they had before. They may have a, in some cases, they may have a shifted set of priorities. In other cases, there may be different members of the buying committee now. Um, the CFO who wasn't involved in the buying committee, you know, at the beginning of the year, maybe the CF no as part of the buying committee now, you know, and, and I stole that. I did not make that up. I, I, like I, it, I wish I could remember who gave me that, but CF no is my new favorite member <laughs> of the buying committee. So I, I think that there is, there's a level of imprecision around what people are doing um, in terms of how they're selling and how they're trying to, and how they're speaking to this buyer that is buying less, that is buying, that is focused on fewer priorities. And so unless you can position yourself as an essential service to that business, it's going to be really hard to get the budget you want right now to, to fund your project. So to avoid future disruption, if that's even a possibility, um, I think sales and marketing need to have both short and long-term revenue funnels to feed that pipeline. Yeah. And I know um, you're good friends with Blatney Conant or Conant, who's the CMO at Sixth Sense. And she mentioned in her book that I've 
read in the last couple of months um, that people shouldn't, uh, companies should not waste resources on accounts that are even poking their head out from under a rock, if I quoted her correctly. Um, while I agree with about 99% of the content in her book, the no forms, no spam, no cold calls, I think this can possibly lead to pipeline challenges in the face of disruption. So if you focus on uh, those that are just showing intent, what happens when there's business or market changes or the intent changes or you know various things that come into play. So if you have a short-term funnel or those that are showing intent and a long-term funnel, those that you wanna create that buying vision with, you can build relationships and engagements around bigger unconsidered problems uh, that will, you know, something that they're gonna fix no matter the circumstances. So what are your thoughts on that, uh, Matt? And where do you think sales and marketing teams should be putting their focus? Well, I think she's absolutely right that you need to focus on prospects short-term that actually have a need that they, you can solve, right? And it, and I think that historically, the means we have used to identify those short-term prospects are arbitrary and inconsistent. Just because someone filled out a form doesn't mean they're ready to buy. Just because someone showed up for your webinar doesn't mean that they're a qualified prospect. And it could be that there are characteristics and triggers and signs that those companies or even the individuals in those companies are exhibiting that indicate they are ready, you know? Um, so I think I think her point is to say, if you are going to work with your sales team to some target accounts, make sure they are actually both targeted, qualified, and timely. Make sure that there are conditions that make them so that they are qualified and, and uh, right now. But I know, I know for a fact, like that, you know, that, that, that Sixth Sense and a lot of other companies that are doing that level of looking at intent signals to identify which prospects are interested are also playing the long game. You know, they're all, they also recognize that, you know, not every prospect is ready right now. And so you cannot sort of ask for their business every month, month over month. You can't continue to treat them as middle or bottom of funnel prospects. So what are you doing to curry favor? What are you doing to build influence? What are you doing to provide value to that audience? to keep their attention and to build trust so that when they do enter into an active buying site, they do show the intent signals that indicate that they're ready to go. You already have a relationship. You already have trust and credibility. It will increase your conversion rate and shorten your sales cycle when you play along in the short game. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Uh, the other reason that I say that people need to um, target those that match their ideal customer profile ICP is that and are showing intention is companies that are showing intention tend to have predefined needs. Um, so they're looking for companies that can provide the most capabilities, lowest cost, might make it um, kind of a bidding war. And it's um, harder to change a buying vision that's already, than it is to create one, excuse me. So 60% yeah. of that market is stuck in status quo, waiting for sales and marketing teams to create a vision for them. Sometimes they, these teams think they're doing it. Uh, customers might not actually think that, prospects might not you know, see the actual value they're trying to um, portray, but everyone's focused on that small percentage of the market that's actively looking. Uh, I think it's about 3% and 7% of the market that's open to buying, but not looking. So that's 10% versus 60%. It's kind of a big difference there. Um, what do sales and marketing teams need to change to drive conversations with those that are stuck in status quo? Well, you got to challenge the status quo. You got to point out why they need to think differently. You need to reframe problems that they do or don't know that they have. <clears throat> I mean, the status quo is a very comfortable place. Mm. Um, it's a lot easier just to stay there. I think we've all, well, maybe not all, but I, I've seen, certainly seen many circumstances where people have tried something different 
and have gone back to the status quo, not because it was successful, but because it was comfortable. Um, even if they know the status quo is not optimal, even if they know that it is not, it's not a successful place to be. So there's a very powerful draw to just stay there. And I think also knowing that if you go, if you, if you are willing to challenge your status quo, the next step would be, you know, a commitment to change. And a commitment to change also means you're going to go through some pain. You're going to have to rip something out and put something new in. You're going to cause more work for some people on your team to sort of implement that change. And so that's bad news. That's pain. That's a problem that you're, that you're introducing into your organization. So the outcome better be worth it. Yeah. You, know, you better understand why you're doing it and why it's valuable. And you better have quantified that as well. So that you know what it's, you know, what it's worth and, what, and have that as your North Star. So, and I think that challenging that status quo and getting that commitment to change, that full commitment to change and follow through on it is not, that that is a high bar that is really up to the seller to help drop. I think that part of the buying journey, that, that loosening of the status quo and that commitment to change, I think it's the hardest and most important part of the buying process. And if you're the vendor, if you're the source of information, if you're the trusted advisor that helps the prospect get there, then it's your deal to lose. I like it. I'm shaking my head over here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Besides taking a more uh, personal account-based approach is what we really like to play, uh, where sales and marketing teams speak to the human buyers. I think teams need to also have a look at their demand gen programs. In many cases, what I've seen is that demand uh, programs are glorified lead gen programs or brand awareness programs. Where do you see the confusion happening and how does demand gen need to evolve to create a more predictable pipeline? Well, I think too many marketing teams are, you know, they're enamored by the marketing of more, you know, more leads, more clicks, more likes, more impressions. Um, And we've taught our CEOs and we've taught our boards to like that little chart that shows up to the right that we're generating more and more and more leads. Um, You know, more is not necessarily better. Um, You know, and I could even argue that like, you know, a lead, whether it's someone who filled out a form or called an MQL or whatever, I mean, those are all vanity metrics unless they actually do something. Um, it's way too easy for a company to say, well, we are defining a lead as someone that raised their hand, right? Well, like I said before, like just because someone downloaded something on your website, just because they visited a couple pages doesn't mean they're qualified and doesn't mean they're short-term qualified. And so, you know, you can play that long game and say, I want to drive engagement with people that are the right people, the right company. You can say, here's my addressable market. And I want to keep them active with my brand, with my story, with, my content that might eventually help them sort of challenge and loosen and commit to change on the status quo. But the real short-term opportunities can't just be those arbitrary measures. And so I think when you've got, when you've got a marketing team that is willing to go and measure themselves either at the middle or bottom of the funnel, you tend to see a different prioritization of activities. If you're focused on pipeline contribution and you've defined, you know, a new opportunity in the pipeline as someone that is, you know, short-term interested, short-term qualified, has budget, has authority, yada, yada. All of a sudden, I don't care about more. I care about a smaller number of, you know, very qualified opportunities. If I'm focused on, you know, marketing influence on closed deals, I might start to prioritize not demand gen, but sales enablement. Like, What are the tools and messages and content and processes I can put in place to help the sales team spend more time actively selling and get more of a conversion rate off of the deals that are in front of them? So I think, you know, the the deeper into the funnel you can get as a marketing team in terms of what you're measuring, the better off you're going to be. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not a matter of of 
numbers game being, uh, you know, a bad thing or a good thing. I think it depends on the organization. Obviously I've never played the numbers game. I've always kind of been laser focused and I'm not sure if that's because I'm in B2B or just because that's the way that I like to, to operate. Um, they do both have their place, but I feel that if you're not accounting, being accountable or held accountable for revenue in a marketing department, then you're kind of missing a key metric. Right. Well, and, and also, you know, you were mentioning earlier, just, you know, how hard it is to try to engage a prospect that is, you know, that you haven't been in talking to or someone that sort of reaches a commitment to change, but maybe it's, maybe it's for the wrong reasons and they've kind of defined it differently than you would define it. Then you got to go backwards, right? Not only do you have to go backwards and sort of help sort of reorient the why and reorient what they're trying to achieve, but even worse, you might just be a commodity at this point. Like if you haven't been able to build trust and credibility, you look like everybody else. And so your conversion rate is going to go down because you're going to just, it's going to be a beauty contest with you and the other people that come in that have more features, better benefits, prettier present, you know, sales presentation template. I mean, you know, all those things that, you know, you sort of, if you don't know, otherwise you just sort of, you, you sort of find these lowest common denominators. And so, you know, I don't want to at all poo poo like the marketing of more as an opportunity to build awareness and trust with your addressable market. Right. I mean, if you can get a thousand people onto a webinar and those thousand people are from companies you care about and you're, the content of that webinar is sort of loosely, you know, challenge the status quo type content that helps reframe problems and rethink you know, helps the prospects rethink about, you know, current situations. That's awesome. Let's not pretend that you can buy a beer without any of those people that are on that webinar yet. Right. And so the goal <laughs> is to get them further into the funnel um, when they're qualified and ready. Absolutely. So going back to um, my last question, I mentioned that sales and marketing to take a more personal account based approach. So how can sales and marketing deliver experience that's focused on human buyers um, so that we can accelerate revenue and strengthen pipelines? Yeah. Well, I mean, the bigger the organization, the more complex the buying journey, the more complex the buying committee, right? The group of people that have a vested interest in getting that deal done. And even though you want the logo of the company on the wall, the building doesn't write a check, right? So it's still individual people we're talking to. We can have an account orientation to sit marketing, but I'm going to call a person. I'm going to email a person. But that person doesn't exist in a silo. Like if, if all you've done is develop personas of your key buyers, even if you've identified the buying committee and you develop individual personas of those buying committee members, you now have to put those personas into motion, right? So you have to understand how, what are the dynamics of how members of those buying committees work together? Where are the cohorts subsets of that buying committee that are making small decisions along the way? What does their buying journey look like? And how are you aligning your message and your process to their buying journey to help orchestrate velocity and consensus building internally? So it's that process of putting those individual personas in motion and defining, I've got these stages of the buying journey. I've got these members of the buying committee. I've got messages I want to get to each of those individuals. You do that kind of a content map and that becomes a foundational tool to, to, to determine exactly what's said to what prospect at what time independent of channel, independent of which marketing channel you're using, as well as independent of whether it's sales or marketing, having that conversation. Makes complete sense. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. So I want to thank you, Matt, for joining me today on the LinkedIn Live and podcast. Uh, you can get a replay of all of our past recordings at stopthesalesdrop.com. And don't forget to go to stopthesalesdrop.com backslash Friday Reboot so you can learn more about the Reboot Pipeline panel that Matt will be participating in, along with Scott Vaughn from uh, integrate. He's their chief growth officer and Lisa Shepard, president at Mezzanine Growth. Matt, before I let you go, 
I want to get to your final thoughts and have you share with our listeners, uh, viewers, anyone tuning in, how they can get more info about you and Heinz Marketing. Oh, sure. Thank you. Um, HeinzMarketing.com. Heinz like the ketchup marketing.com. We've got 12 years of content up there. As I mentioned before, we've got a bunch of new research that we've been doing on how things are changing in B2B sales and marketing all available for free up there. Um, any questions for me, just email me direct, Matt, M-A-T-T at HeinzMarketing.com. Love it. I like the uh, the analogy for Heinz ketchup marketing. Yeah, it makes it easy. I, sometimes I say the ke- ketchup, not the cake box. People get it. Oh yeah, that's a good one. I like that one. I didn't think of that. Well, thank you so much for having uh, or speaking or joining with us today. Uh, Matt, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.